0: more than you ever wanted to yeah (laughs) so matthew chapter 1 verse 1 this is the genealogy of jesus the messiah the son of david the son of abraham abraham was the father of isaac isaac the father of jacob jacob the father of judah and his brothers Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Solomon. Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asa. I want to preach to you this morning that your past does not determine your future. Your past does not determine your future. I got to looking at some of these names in here And uh, if I would have given my genealogy, I'd have left them out And I know when most of you were seeing that, you almost nodded off, right? Most of us are not into genealogies Especially not someone else's genealogy Truth be told, I'm not really even into mine I'm adopted into the Jones family And everybody asks me, are you kin to them? No No I'm adopted. That's just an adopted name that I received. My birth name was Thomas Montanez. So, that's the truth. I tell people I was born Hispanic. I just lightened up. You know, amen. Praise God. You know, I don't know. The sun did me the other way that it does some of us, right? Yeah, bleached me. But, you know, it's interesting when you come to genealogies, there are people who are very interested in genealogies, right? There are people who go on websites to figure out who their great-great-grandfathers were and, and who they're connected to and where they came from. Some of you, have you done the genealogy thing where you figure out where you're from? I'll just tell you, I'm as white as white can be. We, we You know, some of you might be surprised that you have a, a little area of, you know, In Africa or somewhere. Not me. It's like Scotland, Ireland, England, and that's it. You know what I mean? Right there. I don't know if I came over in the potato famine. I have no idea. But, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I can't do anything about who my parents were and who their parents were. But I can tell you, even if you come from a bad past or a bad heritage, I'm here to tell you, That if you get Jesus in your genealogy, everything will change. If you can get Jesus in your upline, it'll change your generational projection and your destiny. And God is going to help us today. Father, I thank you for your word and I ask you to bless the ministry of the word in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. God bless you as you're seated. I don't know about you, I I feel like I've got enough relatives. I don't need to go looking for any more. I'm definitely not looking for any new ones, right? Trying to live in peace with the ones I have. I'm kind of afraid of what I might find, too. I'm sure there's there's some druggies and, you know, problem people, maybe some criminals in there as well. And after going home for Christmas dinners, some of you probably will feel the same way. And many stories of fairy tales start out with once upon a time or in a place far, far away. But I want you to realize that Matthew doesn't start out that way. It's not a fairy tale. He starts out with a genealogy, which is his way of saying, what I'm going to tell you about actually happened in time and space. This is not a fairy tale. Here is his lineage, who he came from all the way down to his parents. This is a real story. And when you're telling real stories, if they wanted to change it, they would have left out some of the people on the genealogy. But they didn't. Because they're telling a real story of someone's real history. Christianity's most important feature is that it is an actual history. That a man lived and lived a perfect life and died and rose again and poured out his spirit on people who would carry out that mission. It is a real story. It's not a set of principles that Jesus taught us, but something Jesus was going to do for us. That's the story of Christmas. Certainly, he taught wonderful things and exposed truth to us. But the real part of the story is that he was going to live a certain life and die a certain death that would affect you and I. And that's the important part. Most religions, when you peel back the layers, they're built on teachings and principles that really would be true whether the religious founder ever lived or not you could take buddhism you could take islam those principles would still be valid regardless of the founder the religious founder was not just he was just a mouthpiece for the teaching but this is not true of christianity christianity depends on a set of events that actually took place in history because the core of christianity is not what jesus taught us to do but what he would do for us Certainly, he taught some wonderful things that are truth, but before you can carry out any of his teachings, something has to be done for you. Amen? Jesus had to live a life and die a certain death for you and I to have hope beyond this life. And scholars point out that the Gospels are basically just prologues to the death of Jesus. The central element in each gospel is the death of Jesus. That's the highlight and the resurrection. That's the pinnacle of the story. They skim over 33 years of his life and three years of his teaching to focus on one week in which he would go to the cross and bear the penalty for our sins and die in our place and rise again. The gospel contains a lot of things Jesus taught. But the focus of the Gospels is not on what Jesus taught, but what he did. Amen? That's why I say the Gospel is not primarily good advice on how to live. The Gospel is good news to those who are in sin and need to be forgiven and need to be cleansed and got some things that they're not proud of that they would like to be washed away and nullified by the blood of Jesus. The word gospel means the announcement of good news. It's the Greek word euagelon. It's a combination of the word good and message or news. And the message, messenger who brought the euagilon or the good news would have been called an angelos or an angel. When Jesus was born, who showed up? Angels, right? The angelos with the good news announcing peace on earth, salvation for men. They didn't say, Hey, a great teacher has been born. They said, A savior has been born. I don't know about you, but that's the power of the gospel. We needed saving, and God sent a savior. We didn't need teaching. We needed saving, and God sent someone in the flesh to save us. You see, what we in the world and humanity needed most was not just one more religious teacher. We needed a different kind of salvation and a new savior. And God became that for us by entering into history and doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. He became that. Those who believe that and receive it will be forever changed. But not primarily because of what he taught, but because of what he did and the life he lived. The most important thing about the gospel is that it must be believed and acted upon. Yes, it is good news, but good news has to have a response. Uagilon is a circular word, right? If someone came bearing good news and said, we won the war, and everybody went ho-hum. It doesn't complete. It's circular. There has to be a response to it. And what's important is there is good news, that there is hope for this world. There is forgiveness for sins. There is a new start. There is an eternal home waiting for us. That's the good news. But you've got to respond to the news. You can't just hear the news and comprehend the news. You have to respond to the news. We have to respond by repenting of our sins and saying, I confess, Lord, and turning from those sins, being baptized in his name, and receiving the infilling of the Holy Ghost. That's our response to the good news. It's not just something that we understand. It's something that we respond to. This is important. You're not a Christian If you're just trying to emulate the moral teachings of Jesus, I'll repeat that. Even if you keep them really well and better than most people. Because the core of Christianity is not a set of teachings to be followed, but a salvation to be received by faith through repentance and baptism. The gospel is not primarily good advice. It's good news. Amen. Something we couldn't do was done on our behalf. Something we couldn't be good enough for, he was good enough for. And he gave it to us freely by faith. Let me give you one quick example of that. One of the details most people know about Christmas is that Mary and Joseph had to travel to Bethlehem because Rome was taxing everyone and you had to go to your home city to be registered. But Luke explains to us that God's purpose was so that a prophecy would be fulfilled, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem as had been prophesied. I want you to see something about the power of God around this little baby's life. That God is still in control and still sovereign. Amen. That he can take a baby and his family and put them in the place where they were supposed to be born. I want you to realize something else too. That all the time, Herod is trying to take his life. Right? All the time he's trying to take his life. And so he's moved out to Egypt to be safe from that. I'm here to tell you, Satan cannot destroy what's God's God's purpose and prophetic thing on it. Right? And then after Herod has died... They're told, come on back, it's safe, the one who sought your life. I'm here to tell you, whatever's going on around you, God is in control of your life. You may have enemies like Herod. You may have people seeking your life and trying to destroy it. But if the prophecy and the word of God is on your life, nobody can touch you until God is finished with you. He was going to go to that cross. He was going to die. And there was no king great enough to change the plan of God. The most powerful man in the world, in that known world, was seeking his life. Wasn't it interesting that once the wise men came, he said, tell me when you find him. And I'll, I'll go worship him too. And they were warned in a dream not to go back by him. These wise men were warned. God had his hand on the scenario, even though the most powerful man of that time was seeking the life of Jesus. See, I don't worry about my enemies because my enemies can't touch me unless God gives them permission. If I still got a prophetic word on me and a job to do, I'm not going to be finished until he's done with me. He can move me around. Hallelujah. He can warn me in a dream. He can send me in another position. But until he's finished with me, it's not going to happen. Hallelujah. He's got a day on his calendar. I'm not worried about the intervening problems and difficulties. But watch this. Luke explains that it was prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So God moves Rome to tax so he can get Mary and Joseph back to Bethlehem. I'm just here to tell you he's in control it may not feel like it at times you may feel overwhelmed you may feel like everything is working against you but God is working in the sovereign dimension to fulfill his purpose it is to demonstrate to you that God moves powerful nations around like chess pieces to bring and accomplish his purpose in Jesus he taxed the whole world to move two people 90 miles I'm telling you, our God is in control of the story. He was going to have a Savior. He was going to have forgiveness. He was going to make a remedy for our sins. Regardless of who opposed it, God was going to have a Savior. He moves around the most powerful nations that will accomplish His purposes. That's the unseen story behind the story. Many of the Israelites were at this point discouraged. They looked around and didn't see God fulfilling his promises. Rome was in charge. You know what blew me away? I was going to talk about this first. What blew me away about this story was the star. The Magi said we saw his star. Now notice this very carefully. I've heard people, I've seen astronomy, I've seen people, they thought it was Jupiter and Regulus, and then that would give you the time when all this stuff happened. But I started reading the Bible again. Might be a good thing to do. I started reading the Bible again because I thought, well, that's cool, that's neat. Yeah, that's got it in an 80-minute time slot when all of these things could come in. And certainly they looked at stars. But notice that they went to Jerusalem And when they left, if you'll read it, it said the star moved and went south. It went south. And it hovered over the place where Jesus was and led them to the place of Jesus. I don't believe it was a star. I believe it was the glory of God. I'm not teaching this as doctrine because I don't have enough information. But I know there was a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire that led Israel at night. And something like the glory of God stood over where the Lamb of God was born. And that's what led them to the Savior and the Messiah. Go back and read it. I thought that was so interesting. It was the glory of God. Think about it. In the Old Testament, you had the Ark of the Covenant. And you had the two cherubim on each side, right? And then you had the glory of God above the mercy seat. Look at what you had in the story of the manger. You have angels. And then you have the glory of God abiding over its Savior. Amen. God in the flesh. Hallelujah. But they, many of them were discouraged because Rome was in charge. Many... Of you look around and you're discouraged, you see unbelief growing. You see secularism taking over our culture, corrupting our institutions, and destroying our nation. But don't be deceived. It it didn't look like God was accomplishing his purposes when Jesus was born. You know what I don't understand is that the magi came to Israel looking for Jesus. They found where he'd be born. They were sent where he was born, but no Jewish sages went with them. You ever read that? None of them went, we, we, you know, we better check this out. These guys, he was like, yeah, we don't need to go. They want to be free from, from, from Rome, but they, they don't look for their Messiah that they think will accomplish it. He was, God was going to pull off his greatest work in this environment. It looks bad now, but God is going to pull things through. Amen. I want to speak to someone this morning that you're struggling and you're going through difficulty. I'm here to tell you that God is working in your behalf in ways that you can't see. And he's going to bring about change. He's going to bring about renewal and revival in your life and blessing and favor. He's going to do it. The same thing is true in all of our lives. You may be discouraged because you look like there's forces you cannot control. But God has an infallible purpose in your life. That is to reveal Jesus to you and glorify himself in you. Everything in your life is ultimately about that. And until God is finished revealing Jesus in you and glorify God through you, you are not finished. I don't care what the doctor says. I don't care what their report is. Until God is finished with his purpose in you, there's nobody that can stop you. There's nobody that can stand in your way. You're going to do a great work. Hallelujah. I want you to notice some of the people in Jesus' family. Let me just give you a few. Tamar. Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba are probably all Gentiles, more than likely. And since Ruth was a Moabitess, she would not, we would not overlook the fact that to the 10th generation, a Moabite was not admitted to the tabernacle and the temple, according to Deuteronomy 23 and 3. Three of the four are morally dubious reputations, Right? Tamar acted like a prostitute to get her father in law to sleep with her. Come on. We know Rahab was a harlot in Jericho, but she hid the spies. Ruth is probably the only one without a bad reputation, and Bathsheba slept with the king. And this is in the Savior's genealogy. <laughs> See... What he's trying to tell us here in this genealogy is Matthew is saying is the gospel is for all people Not Jews only And it's for sinners And not just for the righteous only It is for a sinful world That Matthew is writing about grace Hey, he had some things that he wasn't proud of But still, goodness can come Through a bad genealogy And a bad heritage There's some of you sitting on pews today That your family background Is not something you want to talk about But you're in the church today, and you're living for God, because God can use people out of a bad background, out of a bad heritage. Come on now, some of you' have been from some dysfunction. Don't front on me. I know your story. Come on, We, we come from broken homes. We come from divorce. We come from bad decisions of our own. But God didn't hold any of that against us when we came down and put our faith in him. He said, all right, you're going to believe that I can change that mess in the past? Then I'll do it. Praise God. I'll use you and I'll change the generations, successive generations beyond you. Hallelujah. Praise God. The gospel is for the outsider. That's what Matthew's telling you right up front. Look at Jesus. He's an outsider compared to everybody else. He's born in a manger in Bethlehem. He's from Nazareth, some backwater town. The man who brought salvation is an outsider. And if you're an outsider today, he's looking to you. Hey, come and join me. I'll change your genealogy. I'll change your heritage. I'll give you forgiveness of sins and washing and cleanliness and make you a new creation. For a Jewish person, their genealogy was like their resume. Your heritage was how you showed the world your worth. And so back then, like today, resumes were fudged to include the best parts and omit the nasty details. So genealogy is like a resume. And kings like Herod would only list in their genealogy things that establish their worth. But Matthew comes along under the inspiration of the Spirit... And mentioned some people like Solomon who had 700 wives and 300 concubines who turned his heart from worshiping God. And some of his descendants like Asa who did evil in the sight of the Lord. Keep keep looking. You look at Jesus. He included Tamar as we said and Rahab saved from Jericho. Ruth a Moabite. By the way you see all these are women Women were not considered important in those days Yet they are included in Jesus' genealogy He's trying to tell us from the very outside I don't care what the society says about you I don't care what culture says about you You're important to me They, They may not look at you with value But I see the value in you And I see the value of the women that were in my genealogy If it wasn't for them I wouldn't be here I'm not ashamed of my past because it's been covered in the blood. Hallelujah. Every woman in that list has a scandalous past. Verse 6 says, David, the wife of Uriah. Why that phrase? Why didn't Matthew just write her name? Bathsheba, he's... Making you remember the story that David betrayed one of his best friends and slept with his wife and then had him killed to cover it up. He said, I got some mess in my past, too. I got some stuff that I'm ashamed of, too. But I just want you to know from the outstart that that baby came for those who were outcasts, those who didn't fit in, who weren't born into it, who don't have a history in it. Your mama may never brought you to church in your life. You may have seen dysfunction and abuse in your life. But Jesus is standing there on the shoulders of his his genealogy saying, Come on, I'll accept you. I'll save you. I understand what it's like to feel left out. Jesus' line is filled with moral outsiders and ethnic outsiders and gender outsiders. This is all supposed to be sending you a message. Jesus came for the outcast. He was not ashamed to identify with the outcast as their brother and make them a part of his family. See, Abraham and King David are mentioned in the same list as the prostitute Rahab. Because in Jesus Christ, prostitute and king sit down at the table as equals. That's why they're mentioned in the same name because of his forgiveness because of his cleansing because of his new life We're all welcome at the table We're all welcome at the banquet of God because he made us new creatures and because of what he did we set together There's no cliques. There's no hierarchy. We're all one in Christ Hallelujah reminds me of the story of Saul's grandson, who'd been dropped. And David said, is there anyone from the house of Saul that I could be merciful to? And they found a little boy who was crippled. And he said, he's going to come and eat at my table, at the king's table. See, because when you get your crippled legs beneath the table of the Lord, nobody notices anymore. What God is saying to us, you may have been crippled, you may have been dropped, you may have been hurt, you may have been let down. But I'm inviting you to my table today. And beneath that table, nobody sees your defects or your problems or where you don't measure up. Because I can make you new. These names are included in the line that leads to Christ. So that you can know that your name can be included in the line that leads from Christ. See, a lot of people count themselves out when God is dealing with them and they said well you know Jesus was perfect but look at his family matter of fact Judah not only did he sleep with Tamar but Judah and his brothers threw their brother in a pit and were going to kill him and Judah stood up and said don't kill him let's sell him into slavery These are not morally perfect people in the genealogy of Jesus. And they're there for a reason. Because he came for people like that. Hallelujah. He's not ashamed to identify with you in your difficulty and in your sin and in your struggle. He's not ashamed to identify with you because he's got something to wash you and cleanse you with. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That means no matter who you are, what you've done, there's room for you in the family of God. You may feel like an outcast, but you're not. It's we were made nigh by the blood. Though we were aliens and strangers from the commonwealth of faith, we have been made nigh by the blood of Jesus. I don't know about you today, but I feel encouraged in this place to know that even in the genealogy of Jesus, there's some people who didn't fit, amen? There were some people who didn't measure up to his genealogy, but he wasn't ashamed of his family, praise God. You know why? I'm not ashamed of my family either. The family of God You know what? Because I know where they started And I know how they were when they got here And they may have been busted and broke And struggling But they're changed now Hallelujah They're my my brothers and sisters in Christ And there's nothing more valuable Than the body of Christ I'm thankful today That I feel his anointing in this place Calling you on a Christmas day you say, "Well, I I, I don't fit." Well, neither did I when I came. <laughs> neither did Dyrin when he came. Some of you say, "Well, I, I, I don't know. You guys, you you guys look like you're holy and you got it all together." Well, looks can be deceiving. We're all sinners. We all fail God. Hallelujah. And the unfortunate thing is, we know better. You may not even know better. And so, I want to encourage you this morning to understand that many of us came just like you, feeling uncomfortable and out of place. But someone told us about a baby born in Bethlehem. That was born for the very purpose to atone for my sins. And when I realized I could be free of the guilt and the condemnation. I didn't care who was around me. And I didn't care who was looking. And I didn't care what everybody else thought. Because I had carried that burden long enough. And there's somebody here today, you've carried that burden long enough. It's time to take that off of you. What the world has said, what your family has done, what you've been through, you need a new identity and a new genealogy that starts with Jesus Christ and his washing and his cleansing. Hallelujah. Stand with me all over the building. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Lord told Abraham, He said, You're going to have descendants as of the end of the sea, your natural offspring. Then you're going to have descendants as of the stars of the sky. Descendants by faith. Hallelujah. I'm in that starry genealogy of Jesus. Because our world wants to tell you, well, it's who you know and it's who your parents are. I'm here to tell you they're wrong. That might be right. If you're seeking what they seek, they may be right. But if you're seeking a changed life, none of that matters. All that matters is, am I willing to turn my life around and put my faith in Christ? Your destiny is going to be changed. Your life is going to be revolutionized in the presence of the King. Hallelujah. hey thanks for listening to northgate pentecostal check us out on facebook and youtube and you can watch the video of the message you just listened to god bless y'all